Walt Disney, Railroad Hijacking, and the first Congressional Medals of Honor. This is Peripheral History. You're listening to Peripheral History on Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM, where we look at events that happen in the periphery of history. I'm Ryan Bagley. And I'm Carter McNish. In today's special episode of Peripheral History, we'll be examining one event in particular, a heist story known to history as Ocean's Eleven. Wait, what? Oh, I misread the notes. A heist story known to history as the Great Locomotive Chase. Oh, that's better. Be sure to check out the online version of this episode at Radio Free Hillsdale's SoundCloud page for bonus content. Getting into today's story, the Great Locomotive Chase was a daring raid executed by Union soldiers and civilians during the American Civil War. This happened in early 1862, specifically the months of March and April. Yes, indeed. In terms of where you want your uh, timeline geography here, think the Battle of Shiloh, and that's pretty much where you are in the Civil War timeline. Yeah, the Andrews Raid, as it was called at the time, the Great Locomotive Chase now, is something of a historical footnote in the Civil War, yet it's one of those stories, like many Medal of Honor stories, that is just truly amazing and makes for a drama unto its own against, of course, the backdrop of the much larger Civil War. It, it really does, and it's actually one of the stories that inspired this podcast in the first place. It really is, yeah. So this is the story that got me into history, so it's definitely going to be an exciting episode, folks. Sit back, grab some popcorn, maybe a soda, and uh, this is going to be a uh, one heck of a ride. And I will say that the fact that Carter's love of trains led him to find this story and then go even deeper into history is a lot more impressive than my love of trains when I was little, which just led me to the Thomas the Tank Engine Festival. Yeah, I mean, it led me there, too. Just uh, I got a little bit farther down the road. Did they have the giant Lego model of Thomas that you could get inside? No, but I think they had Thomas like the steam engine that you could go take a ride on. Okay, that may have been a little more impressive than the one I went to. Okay. Yeah, I mean, living in Maryland, right, you got the B&O Railroad Museum. Ah. So where the first railroad in America was, really, you tend to find uh, a little bit more oomph in the train festivals around there. But yes, so getting back on topic here with the Civil War and railroads, it's one of the less studied aspects of the Civil War that really needs to be appreciated. So I'll give you a little bit of context here. Railroads were key to Civil War-era transportation. There were three ways that you got around, by boat, by rail, and by road, and two of those were very slow. Now, your average steam engine at that time, and this will be important later, goes about 10 to 15 miles an hour on average, and if they're being really risky with it and gutsy, they might be able to throw it up to 25 for short spans of time. So these trains are not going fast by modern standards, but this is practically light speed for 1860s-era travel. Railroads played a key role in supplying the armies. If you look at the campaigns, especially out west, but this is also true out east, all of them follow either a river or a railroad, because that's how you keep an army of 60,000 to 100,000 people fed, is by putting yourself on the routes where you can be most easily supplied, which is the rivers and the railroads. And... Many battles in the Civil War were won 
by who had better access to the railroads. So we're talking about a raid on a railroad. And this is just going to show you that railroads are key and that this raid played a much bigger role in the Civil War than you would think. Or at least it would have if it had worked. But that's something for later. Yes. Before moving along, just a reminder that you're listening to Peripheral History on Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. Before we dive into the specifics of the Andrews Raid, let's talk a little bit about the plan. So you see, Chattanooga is this city in southeastern Tennessee. It's one of the major railroad junctions. It sits on a bend in the Tennessee River. And it is, in many ways, the door to Georgia. All of the railroads that go to Atlanta from Tennessee go through Chattanooga, and the Confederates were putting up a ferocious defense of the city. And so in order to take this city, a Union general by the name of General Mitchell wanted to cut off the railroad supplies. You see, the Confederates didn't have a large standing army in Chattanooga. They had a small force that was enough to delay a Union army for a couple days. Time enough for more Confederate troops from Atlanta to be shunted up there via railroad. Again, railroads coming in, very important. So what he wanted to do was take out Chattanooga while it had only a couple thousand defenders by cutting off this railroad lifeline, preventing an army from reinforcing the city. Now, the question is, how do you go about this? Now, railroads are unique in that they are Really, trains can't go anywhere except the tracks. And trains can't climb hills very well, nor can they go down into valleys that well. So the train tracks have to be pretty much flat, except for a couple degrees of elevation or declination here and there. So if it's going across a river, if it's going through a mountain, if it's doing anything fancy, it has to go through either a bridge or a tunnel. So what you can do... Instead of just ripping up an entire railroad, you can just destroy either one of these bridges or cave in this tunnel, and the entire railroad is unusable because you can't get past it. And that's exactly what Mitchell wanted to do. He wanted to get a group of Union soldiers to go on the railroad from Atlanta to Chattanooga and burn down all of the bridges and try and blow up as many of the tunnels as they could to prevent the Confederates from using that railroad as a means to shuttle troops from Atlanta to Chattanooga. Right. And that's where James Andrews comes into the picture. Yes, he was a civilian. He was from Kentucky, and he was a Union spy, you see. He had extensive connections in the South, Kentucky being kind of a neutral state. He had extensive connections amongst especially high-ranking Southern officers. And so before this point, he had been accustomed to going down South, talking to his friends, and then collecting as much information as he could before going back up north and relaying this information to Union commanders. On his travels, he met a number of Confederate officers and railroad engine drivers that weren't necessarily the most loyal Confederates. They were willing to, for some money, perhaps betray the cause and decide that maybe, in fact, the Union was the better side to go with. And so one of these railroad engineers happened to be in command of a locomotive on this Atlanta to Chattanooga Railroad. So when Mitchell is talking about needing these bridges blown up, Andrews says, you know, 
I might just have one of the guys that would be able to get this done for you. And so Mitchell says, how are you going to do it? And Mitchell tells him exactly that. He's going to go down into Georgia with a select group of Union soldiers and civilians. He's going to meet up with this engineer, take the locomotive, drive it up the railroad, and burn the bridges as they go on their way from Atlanta to Chattanooga. Once they get to Chattanooga, or a few miles from it, they'll ditch the engine and go overland across the Tennessee River and meet back up with General Mitchell, thus preventing the Confederates from using the railroad to get troops to Chattanooga. Now, it's a great plan, and they found 20 guys to do it, and they all got to Georgia, and when they got there, they found out that the Confederate that they were going to have pilot the engine was gone. In fact, he had been drafted into the Confederate military, you see. He was now in the artillery. He was no longer an engineer. And that pretty much threw a wrench into the works because none of the people in that party actually knew how to operate a steam locomotive, which is a problem if you're going to steal one. Uh, one quick note is that this first raid occurred in March of 1862. Yes, indeed. So it's March. They get there. Guy's gone. What next? Well, they can't do the plan. So some of them either, as their backup, join the Confederate Army and then try to get as close to the front line as possible so they can desert back to the Union Army or try to make their way back overland to Union lines which some of them managed to do, and the rest try the desertion method with varied success. Andrews himself was able to get back, but um, it was not a great first showing for the Andrews party. Yeah, and of these original Andrews raiders, only one, aside from Andrews himself, decided to continue. Uh, they just dreaded the experience of being behind enemy lines, especially so deep behind enemy lines, and did not want to go through with it again. Yes, because these soldiers were not obviously dressed up in soldiers' uniforms. They were dressed up as civilians while they were infiltrating the South, which meant that if they were captured, they could be hanged as spies, which is not something you want looming over your neck, so to speak. So Andrews, undeterred, decides to try again. He talks to General Mitchell and asks three Ohio regiments to submit volunteers from each of their companies to form a new raiding party, specifically this time so that he doesn't have to rely on Confederates betraying the side, he asks for soldiers that have prior railroad experience, namely engineers, firemen, and conductors. So this way, he doesn't have to rely on any third party. It's just him and his guys stealing a railroad engine, which seems like what would have been the best option from the beginning. Yeah. But, indeed, you learn from experience. And so, learning from his experience, this is how Andrews decided to proceed. And uh, one of the soldiers that Andrews actually selected uh, has a little quote from his experience of getting drafted into the little raid here. And so, the colonel of his regiment ordered all of the companies to uh, stand out in a line and asked for all of the engineers or people with railroad experience to step out two paces from the line. These people were promptly sent up the chain of command to General Mitchell, and this soldier, Brown, describes uh, his experience with meeting General Mitchell. 
This is a dangerous mission you are going on, he said, and the utmost caution will be necessary on the part of all of you. On you rests a great responsibility. You are the first engineer to take charge of the engine, but there will be a reserve of two others from the other regiments, the other regiments in this case being three Ohio regiments, that, uh, in fact, one of them, I believe the second Ohio, a Hillsdale guy was in that regiment. So, cool. interesting little si side note there. And then uh, Brown, the chief engineer of the raid, decided to ask Mitchell, he had not been told the purpose of the raid, the overall strategic picture. And so General Mitchell uh, very frankly said, quote, to destroy the bridges over the main lines of the enemy's communications. It will go far to separate their armies and put them at our mercy. Brown then said, but what do you think of the chances of success? General Mitchell replied, that depends upon circumstances. If the enterprise can be carried out as planned by Mr. Andrews, I think the chances are very good indeed. But if any delay happens, and note this will be very important later, the difficulty will be increased. And Sir Topham Hatt will be very cross. Indeed. And he, he asked, why so, General? And he answered, because as the armies draw nearer, the roads will be more occupied with troops and stores moving back and forth, and these will be in your way. So, increasing the risk of being captured. And this is a little bit of foreshadowing. This raid did not get off without a fair number of delays. At this point, I'd like to remind you once again that you're listening to Peripheral History on Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. Having set the stage for Andrew's second raid, we find him and his 23 raiders splitting into groups of two and, and making their way down to the town of Marietta, Georgia on April 11th, 1862. And that night, they uh, met up in Marietta, and this was one day after their scheduled arrival. And they decided that they would take the train the next morning, as they were all there. Uh, they, I believe there were a couple raiders, I believe there were two, that weren't able to make this rendezvous. And they joined the Confederate Army. And they joined the Confederate Army as planned, the same kind of alibi as the first set of raiders had been using. So the raiders, all 21 of them now, got tickets on the morning train from Marietta to Chattanooga, which was a passenger train consisting of, I believe, three boxcars and four passenger cars. The boxcars being behind the engine and the passenger cars being the rear of the train. So they get on the train at Marietta in the morning, and the train moves from Marietta a few miles north to the station at Big Shanty, Georgia, which is near Kennesaw, where... It's actually in the modern town of Kennesaw since it's grown. Um, and in these days, trains did not have dining cars. So these steam engines would have to stop for wood and water for the boilers. And then they'd also have to stop for food. And this stop at Big Shanty was one such stop where they got all three. The reason the raiders decided to pick Big Shanty is because all of the passengers and all of the crew would get off the train and go into the station to have breakfast, meaning that the engine was unguarded and unmanned. So they could just sneak out, pretend they weren't hungry, board the engine, uncouple the passenger cars, leaving only the box cars in the engine, and move off. There was one small part of the plan that they did not account for, though. At Big Shanty... On the other side of the tracks from the station was a large Confederate army camp. Oops. 
an entire division of Confederate troops, the exact same troops that Mitchell wanted to prevent getting to Chattanooga. Very high stakes. So they're trying to steal a train carrying strategic supplies north in front of 4,000 very armed Confederates. Well, I guess you stick to the adage of just faking it till you make it. And that's exactly what they did, you see. So Andrews and his men get out of the passenger cars, moving along the opposite side of the train from the station so that the people in the station couldn't see what was going on. Of course, this was in full view of all of the Confederate soldiers. So they move forward to where the three boxcars are. They open them up, and 18 of the raiders climb into the three cars. The other three, Andrews and two of the engineers, move up to the engine and board the engine. As they're boarding the cars, a Confederate soldier is walking by on armed patrol, making sure that no funny business is going on, and sees them climbing in to these boxcars dressed clearly in civilian clothes. They did not look like they were needed there. They did not look like they had permission. Andrews sees this as he's walking by and shouts to his boys, Come on, boys, get aboard! We gotta get moving for General Beauregard! We're sending these supplies north! The soldier, walking by, buys the alibi, thinks that these guys are working for the Confederates, carries on walking. One close call averted, Andrews gets into the engine, which is already boiled up and full of steam, and having separated the passenger cars from the box cars, gets the train rolling. It's also important to note that the train's name is The General, which will just help as we distinguish it from trains that pop up later in the story. Yes, yeah, the, the engine is named The General, which is somewhat of an uh, interesting name. You know, uh, it'll be famous later. So the train starts moving, and the conductor of this train, the regular conductor of this train, is a guy by the name of William A. Fuller. And he is a very experienced conductor. In fact, he's met Andrews before because Andrews has traveled on these trains. So he doesn't know what's going on, but uh, he sees the train through the window of the station start to move when it's not supposed to. That's weird, he thinks, as he runs out the door to see this train picking up speed going north without him or any of the other officers of his crew on board. And he proceeds with his two engineers to chase after it on foot up the train tracks. Which, remember, these trains can only go 15 miles an hour. Is actually, you can't catch up this train, but you can keep a decent pace with it. I mean, I ran past one of those speed signs in my hometown that, you know, like changes the number to mark your speed in relation to the speed limit. I was able to hit 16 miles an hour, so, you know, it works. Yeah, so Fuller is chasing this train down the track. Of course, it's getting out into the distance, and he's not going to be able to keep up with it. But he knows that there's a bunch of stations down the train line that he can either get a push car from or perhaps find an engine at to keep chasing. So he is going at a full sprint to try and chase this thing down. Meanwhile, James Andrews, happy that he just got away with stealing the train, doesn't notice the pursuit. But anyway, he's got a head start, so he's moving up north with his mission to tear up tracks, burn down bridges, and cut telegraph wires, which is the, way, which is the main way of communicating from one station to another, which would allow, if Fuller were to get his hands on a telegraph, 
Fuller to transmit the message up the line that the train had been stolen, allowing soldiers and other trains to stop them from doing what they were planning on doing. And this is important because they needed to get, they needed to move over a hundred miles in order to actually get where they needed to go. Atlanta to Chattanooga, or really Marietta to Chattanooga, is about 100 miles of railroad line. And so the first 30 miles of that, no bridges, no tunnels, nothing to blow up. So they needed to get at least 30 miles before they could start accomplishing their objectives, and they needed to prevent anyone from finding out what they were doing. So not long after they depart Big Shanty, they decide to cut down this, to stop and cut down one of the telegraph poles. So they stop. One of the soldiers who was a little bit skinny and was able to shimmy up trees shimmied himself up the telegraph pole, took a pair of clippers, cut the telegraph wire, shimmied on down, and the trains began moving again. While this was happening, they also, with crowbars, very limited supplies, tried to tear up a little bit of the track, remove a rail, which they did, and kept on moving. This would prevent trains coming from the south to the north in pursuit from following them because they'd get derailed. So they keep on moving past a couple station stops before uh, they finally start getting way north. Meanwhile, Fuller, in his pursuit, finds a push car at one of the stations. You know, these push cars are basically a little, uh, a little wooden bed with railroad wheels on it. No power to it at all. You just have to push, hence the term push car. So he's got essentially a pole that he's using to vault his car up the railroad tracks. Okay, interesting. I was imagining one of those uh, push carts where you have like the the almost like seesaw like pump that you have two people on. No, yeah. So no seesaw. This is just him actually pushing himself down oh, the wow. track. Yeah. So he's run for like ten miles now, picked up a push car, and now he's pushing himself down the track in pursuit of this train. That almost seems like it'd be slower. Yeah. You know, it's actually quicker because, right, you're able to keep up more constant speed. Gotcha, gotcha. Still very much an element of physical comedy. Yes, indeed. This whole this whole thing is just uh, layered with also jokes, but also just epicness, right? You know, who would chase down this train? Only William A. Fuller, right? So, at a station called Etowa, uh, the raiders passed a smaller locomotive named the Yona, which was mainly used for shunting around different cars and such on sidings. It was mostly kind of like an organizational engine. It wasn't meant to pull the main trains down the line. And so they considered stopping to blow it up, but there were enough people there, and uh, they didn't think they were being pursued, so they thought that they had a pretty decent head start. They thought that it wouldn't, work, wouldn't really enter into it, so they decided to keep going. A couple hours later... William A. Fuller shows up, and guess what he sees? A fully steamed-up engine. He gets on it, says, Yanks have stolen my train! They say, all right, and they start heading up the track. So now he's actually got a locomotive to pursue. So, you know, we're, we're moving up in the world. We've gone from foot to push car. Now we've got a uh, small siding locomotive. And it's sounding all the more like a physical comedy. Yes, it indeed is. We'll talk about physical comedies later, because there is one based on this. Now, it's important to note that the uh, Raiders had stolen a scheduled train, right? This was not a special munitions train. Everybody at every station knew exactly when this train was supposed to show up. So as long as they didn't think their cover was blown, 
they had to keep the exact time schedule of this train. So they were passing through, or at least were trying to pass through, every station as they were expected, which also slowed them down a little bit, allowing Fuller to continue to catch up. They got to this station called Kingston, which is about halfway from Atlanta to Chattanooga. And it's here where the scheduled train was supposed to stop for about an hour and wait for a southbound train to pass by before heading north because there was only one track. So if a train was going south and a train was going north at the same time, they'd run into each other. That had to have been the most tense hour of their lives. It wasn't just an hour. They got to Kingston, and of course they can't cut down any telegraph wires to prevent Fuller or anyone else. They didn't know they were being pursued, but they couldn't prevent the telegraph operator in that station from receiving messages because something would have been would have seemed up. So they are waiting on that siding, and an hour passes by. No train heading south. They're starting to get a little worried. Another hour passes by, and finally, the scheduled southbound train arrives an hour late and passes by. So not only have they lost an hour, which they had expected, but they had lost two, which was an hour extra that they had lost, further increasing their chances of getting captured. Remember that quote that I read to you earlier? The chances of them succeeding go lower and lower with every delay. I'm afraid we'll have to end on that cliffhanger. Stay tuned next week for the thrilling conclusion to the story of the Great Locomotive Chase. This has been Peripheral History on Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM.